Thanks for listening to the Pioneer Valley Church podcast. Our hope is that what you hear encourages your faith in the way of Jesus and inspires you to participate in what God is up to in the world. God bless. Amen. We're in a series about good news. It's pretty good. And it's new. Well, kind of. It's relatively new. It needs to stay new as we're going to talk about here in a little bit. And we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And hopefully you are having the same experience that I am having where my definition of good news is broadening. Mm-hmm. You know, we can t- start to think of good news in a very limited way. But as you go through Mark's Gospel, I hope you're noticing this. Mark is like a genius. And Mark is layering all these interesting and valuable tidbits all throughout his narrative to broaden our definition of the good news. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to continue to broaden our idea of Jesus's gospel of the kingdom here in Mark chapter 6, if you'd turn there with me. Mark 6, this is a familiar story, but I want to uh, urge you, implore you to just come in open. Maybe you've heard this story before. You can do all the beats in your head of what this sermon's going to be. But I, I just want to ask you to open up your mind, open up your heart to what the word is telling us Amen. today. Here in Mark 6, verse 32, it's the feeding of the 5,000. There we go. It says, verse 32, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I'm just going to stop for one second. Imagine you're on a fishing trip and there's a thousand people watching you. You're just, you know, you're cruising along the lake and you just see this crowd the entire time for hours. That is the scenario that we are in right now. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat. There we go. Oh, there we go. I want to make sure you're still with me here. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them? To eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in the groups, in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Take a second with that. Like we do this thing where it's like, all right, what's the story? What's the hidden narrative? But just pause for a second and reflect on how good and powerful Jesus is. 5,000 men. Forget the women and the children who are also being fed in this scenario, let's conservatively say 10,000 people. Maybe 20,000. Let's go, uh, Tom, 20,000? 20,000 people, conservatively, probably still, being fed by five loaves, two fish. How good and powerful is our Lord? 
So we can pause and reflect and, and praise God for what he's doing in this. But of course, Mark is doing so much more in this story than just a miracle story, as if it was ever just a miracle story. Right. See, what Mark is doing, and the gospel writers do this all the time, he's calling back to an Old Testament story, and he's telling it for a new audience. You'll start to notice this, that like Mark is repeating some of the greatest hits in Israel's past. Can you guys think of a story uh, about a wandering crowd, let's say, that uh, is wandering and they're getting hungry and they are miraculously fed? Is there any story like that? Manna, yes. Zoe kind of gave it away with the, uh, with the contribution, but in a good way. I love when the Spirit does that. Manna in the desert, Exodus 16. It's another story where God proves his goodness, his provision, his power by feeding everybody and satisfying. In that story, in Exodus 16, we won't read it, but it's another story about a wandering group following a powerful leader, starting to maybe get some rumbles in the tummy, maybe starting to complain a little bit. None of us have ever been there, of course. But uh, And what happens? There's organization, there's instruction, and everybody eats, everybody gets enough, everybody is satisfied. And that story is a reminder to each and every one of us that God meets your needs. God sees you. He cares about you. He feeds you. He gives you what you need. Now think about what this would have felt like for a first century Jew sitting in the crowd. Right? You grew up with the manna story, and it's like all the, the stories that your family used to tell around like Christmas or Easter or whatever. And you go, yeah, yeah, that's kind of a fairy tale. The manna that rained down from heaven. And maybe you believe the story, but, but you haven't experienced anything like that in your life. And then one day this Jesus comes along. And the man's story is no longer a relic from your past. It's not a fairy tale. It is reality happening to you and your family. Right. Your actual hunger is actually being fed by actual God. So right. Cool. Right. Right. This is not a fairy tale. Right. This thing that we do on Sundays, this is a thing that actively happens to and for yeah. us. Right. Is that good news? Yeah. The, 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 the hidden secret that Mark is revealing here is that you too can live a story of God's provision. Amen. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. It's a reality that happens through Jesus. Think about the power of a provision story in your life. Think about the times that God saw you and met some crazy need that no one was ever going to meet. He answered some prayer that you were privately praying and you hadn't told anybody about. That is what God does consistently for his people. Yeah. And for these first century Jews, the idea of provision was not a small one. They're currently, uh, in this time, under a hostile Roman occupation. These Romans are smothering their culture, smothering their finances with up to 90% taxes. Pretty fun. They're smothering their lives. They're killing they're people. There's never enough for them. Not only that, the religious and political elites in their society are disenfranchising the common folk to make them feel like they are outsiders even in their own religion. These are folks who are commoners. They're outsiders looking in. They're what Jesus would have called poor in spirit, which is not a compliment, by the way. They're the ordinary folks. They're the have-nots. And God sees them. God cares about them. God feeds them. They're outsiders looking 
in, and, and perhaps you have felt that way at some point in your life. Maybe you feel like an outsider today, like you walked into church, but you're like, I don't, this isn't really my scene. Maybe you've never really felt like an insider. Maybe you've tried to do it the right way. You said, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to do dating and romance the right way. I'm not going to get into all these troubling relationships. I'm going to do work and my career the right way. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be this, this corrupt bureaucrat, whatever. I'm going to do it the right way. And you still feel like you're wandering through life. Maybe some combination of bad breaks and miscommunications and, and unhealthy experiences in your past have made you feel like an outsider even as you're sitting inside the church. Maybe you felt passed over again and again and again and, and now you're telling yourself this story that like miracles and blessings and good things, yeah, God does that, but he does that for other people. Like that's not, that's not for me. God does that for them, but I'm, I'm never going to get to experience that, maybe you feel like an outsider. I know for my people, the millennials, where we at? My millennial folks. Such a millennial response. It's like, yeah, kind of. We don't have very much to get excited about. I'm sorry. But for my millennial group, we, we grew up often, many of us in the church, or maybe you found this church, and it's a blessing to go, hey, I got to walk into this thing, and I didn't build it. I didn't. I didn't do much of anything. I sort of just discovered it. And it had health. And it had maturity and experience. And I got to walk in in the worship and there's a light show. But I know as a younger person in the church, I can feel like, where, where do I fit in? Because I'm invested, but I didn't build this. I'm just kinda, I kind of showed up about halfway through the story. How about the seasoned vets? Where are we at? The seasoned vets. Right here. The mature. Let's go. Let's go. Let's Steve, you're not old. Come on. You're like 26. Uh, he's got dust on me. He's got dust. <laughs> That's awesome. The seasoned vets. Maybe you can look back at a laundry list of your sacrifices for, for God's kingdom. And you're like, you don't know what I've given up, young fella, for the kingdom. But maybe even now you're feeling like, okay, I've given up all this. What, what am I getting out of it? Have things really changed for me? And you may not feel that right now, but I know I've felt that in seasons. And for me, I'm a millennial who's been a disciple for 16 years. So I'm kind of like stuck in the middle where I'm like, I'm like a cynical millennial. I'm the worst kind. It's not good. But I know throughout my life and throughout my walk with God, I've battled these insecurities of feeling like an outsider, feeling like a have not. And some some of that's real and some of that's perceived, but Throughout my life, I've had to battle this insecurity of like, am I sharp enough? Remember when we used that word back in the day? Am I in enough? Do I know the right people? All the wrong questions that you had asked in a church, I was asking those questions of myself. And I know for myself, I need reminders of God's goodness and his power and his provision. I need reminders that Jesus is inviting me into a miraculous lineage. I need good news, good news because I feel like an outsider sometimes, which is a weird feeling when you're standing on the stage like, where do I fit in? I know you might feel the same. One more important point about this. Uh, these crowds, they are being fed by Jesus, and they have not done anything. There's no story of this crowd miraculously repenting, being converted. A few of them are disciples, but most of them are just kind of hungry and bored. And yet Jesus sees them. 
Jesus cares about them. Jesus feeds them spiritually by teaching them and then physically, and they haven't done anything. We need this reminder, right, that Jesus' compassion precedes our transformation. This is incredibly important. If you don't catch anything else from what we're talking about today, please know this, that Jesus has loved you and seen you and is taking care of you long before you were a good Christian. Long before you were doing all the right stuff and you figured out your, your mess and all, all the things that we talk about. I mean, Jesus wants your transformation. He wants to see you grow in your character and, and develop a relationship with him, but he's not withholding his love until you get it right. He's pretty nice. That's good news, isn't it? Can I let you in on a secret, though? It kind of gets gooder. The good news gets gooder? It's like, I wish someone would come up with a better word for, like, if good was gooder. I can't think of anything, though. Gooder. Turn over to Mark 8, if you will. Mark 8, chapter 1. Mark has this awful habit. He repeats himself quite a bit in his gospel. You might think it's a bad habit. But what Mark does, he, he tells the same stories over and over again with, like, little changes. And he hopes that you catch the little differences that are going on. This is another feeding story, but there's a crucial difference. Mark 8, verse 1, during those days, another large crowd had gathered. That's what they did back then. Since then, they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place, another one, can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men. We'll call it 16,000 that. 16,000 is good, mm-hmm. were present. And having, them, and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Another feeding story. And you probably caught a lot of the similarities, but there are some key differences this time. The stakes are a little bit higher. They haven't been following Jesus from a distance for a day. No, no, no. This is three days of following Jesus. And we don't even have any fish. It's just seven loaves at this point. And okay, it's not 5,000, it's 4,000, but we're still talking intense miracle. But there's a a very key difference. There's something that is shocking if you are a first century Jew reading this story. It's actually not in Mark 8, sorry, I cheated. Uh, In Mark 7, just a little bit higher up, it says that they're in the region of the Decapolis. And if you're a linguist, the 10 cities, very nice. The 10 cities, it's a Greek word, the 10 cities, now, if there were 10 cities that had a Greek name, what kind of people do you think might live there? Greece. Sometimes the Bible's easy, folks. Greek people. Very nice. And so on the western side of the lake, trying to do my geography, on the western side of the lake was where the first feeding happened. And there were Jewish people there. It was a very Jewish area. Gentiles need not apply. But then Jesus travels across the lake to the eastern side, and he does another feeding. And this feeding, the Gentiles are involved. The Gentiles are invited. Listen, we talked about outsiders. The Gentiles were like 
outsider, outsider. They literally lived across the lake. Outsider, outsiders, even these people are invited into the meal. And this is especially good news for Mark's Roman audience, right? Elias has talked before about how Mark is being written to a Roman Gentile group. And so you might be reading these very Jewish stories about manna and God's goodness, and you're going, yeah, but where do I fit in? I've never been to a church service in my life. Bible? I don't even have the app. I'm an outsider. Outsider. This is a shocking revelation for a Jewish audience. This is like if manna came down and then the Egyptians showed up and they got a bite. Like that is how wild we are talking here. But this is an often repeated story in the gospel and throughout Israel's history. It's a story of outsiders being invited in and in and in and in. But, but sometimes that outside in trend starts to get a little bit funky. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes the outsiders don't just get invited in, they become insiders. And sometimes insiders like to protect what they have inside. Have we been there? And sometimes the insiders start to develop what, what Rabbi Jonathan Sachs calls a pathological dualism. They start to see everything in absolutes. It's not insiders, outsiders. It's not Jews, Gentiles. It's us versus them. And now dualism has become tribalism. Well, we can't let them in because they could, who knows? And then tribalism becomes culture war. And suddenly the insiders are not just judging the outsiders, they're policing the outsiders. God forbid that such a thing could ever happen in this day and age. God forbid that we outsiders become insiders. You know, I think it's a funny small detail here. It took the disciples three days before they started caring about this crowd. And even then, Jesus had to be like, have you guys noticed that they've been following for three days? Last time, you, you came to me after one day wanting to care for your brothers and sisters, but these Gentiles took you three days. Have you even noticed yet? Remember how powerful this provision story can be. Is there anybody in your community that would shock you to see a church? That might offend you if they walked in the door? Mm. You know, we, we say this thing, and I earnestly believe that we mean it, but we say this thing sometimes, or some version of it, where we go, I just wish everybody would come to church. Yeah. Do you actually want that, though? Right. I can say it, but sometimes I don't know how comfortable I'd feel at church if everybody came. Where would the convicted felons sit? My guess is maybe over, there's a lot of seats, I don't know. Where would the, um, where would the LGBTQ community place their chairs? How about the illegal immigrants? How about those people on that side of the political spectrum or that side? How about the white nationalists? Uh, do they have to come, right? Like there's outsiders and then there's outsider outsiders. And I didn't say everybody. There's all kinds of groups that you're probably thinking of, but if there's anybody that you would be shocked and offended to see at church, I just want to challenge you to consider your insider status. And if you feel like an outsider this morning, I want you to know, welcome, we're really glad to have you here, but you are welcome, you are seen, you are loved, and we earnestly believe that God wants to meet your needs, whether through the church or otherwise. 
you are welcome, you are accepted, and you belong. And Jesus wants to see your transformation, but he's not withholding compassion from you either. Why? Because it's Jesus' way. His way, the very way he operates in our lives is to transcend the artificial barriers that divide us and to include. That's what he does over and over again. He transcends, he includes. Even them, even you get included. And that is good-er news. Even you are invited into this story of provision because in Jesus' way, there's enough for everybody. In Jesus' way, everybody eats. And somehow they end up together in groups of 50s and 100s. Kind of sounds like churches, whatever. Can I, can I let you guys in on another secret, though? The gooder news? It gets gooder. And you're like, Josh, you can't, there's no way it gets gooder. Can I share one last thing with you? And then I'll get out of here. Mark 6, back there, back to the first feeding story. There's a small thing that kind of tells the whole story in verse 35. And this is where it gets practical. Verse 35, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And we'll, we'll stop there. You give them something to eat. Can we just acknowledge how insane that is to say? Like, um, what, what do we have here? Is it a water, coffee? Just water? Yeah, you brought enough for everybody, right? Can you just, real quick, just keep pouring out that cup till everybody has enough? Remember how we talked about how this, this is an Old Testament story happening in the first century? I'm sure the disciples would have picked up on the manna story happening in real time, right? And they're going, wait, you want us to do what God did? Hey, real quick, perform an Old Testament miracle. Play one of God's greatest hits. That's insane. Are you kidding me? Have the entire church over to your house tonight for dinner. What? Sounds like fun. But like, I have a landlord, like I have the Kingans, they would not, they actually, they probably would be cool with the entire church showing up. Let's be real about something. What I'm saying here, folks, this is not just a retelling of an old story. This is an invitation to partner with God in the profound and shocking work of provision. You don't just get to experience the good news. The good news is so sweet because you get to participate and partner in it. He wants your help. He says, you give them something to eat and I will take care of the rest. This is not obligation, by the way. This is not like, did you bring enough for the whole class? Right? Like, we're not doing that here. It's like a parent and a child. When when mom is cooking dinner and she lets the kids help, help, right? (laughs) It's, do I need your help? Probably not, but I'd much rather do it with you than for you. Right? Right? It's, It's the relationship that matters much more than what gets set on the table. It's not just gooder, it's gooder. <laughs> I like Steve, man. This is not obligation. <laughs> this is an invitation into gooder news, not just to receive it, but to join in. 
uh, Elias has said something a few times over the course of this series, and I know he got it from one of his mentors, uh, Dr. Love, Dr. Mark Love. It's this idea that the good news needs to remain new. It wasn't just good news back then, it needs to stay fresh and real and ongoing and growing. Well, how does the good news stay good and new? It stays fresh via our partnership. It stays fresh and new when we are out preaching it and living it and not just receiving it. The good news stays good when we become people of provision, not just recipients of God's provision. Let's share a few ways really quick, pathways and how to become people of provision. The first one is in verse 34. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The simplest and most profound way to become a person of provision is to learn compassion. To see your neighbor as they really are and to love them anyways. To see their actual needs. Not just to give them an invite card, but to get into their lives. To not just see your neighbors, but to see a couple that is struggling with their marriage and needs help. To not just see a homeless guy on the street, but to see a child of God who has fallen on hard times and needs to be lifted up. Do you see your community with compassionate eyes? Do you empathize and do you respond? It is the most surefire way to become a person of provision. Mm -hmm. The second way in verse 38, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And this seems like an obvious question, but it's a very, it's a very powerful one. He doesn't say, what do they need? He says, what do you have? Let's start there. Because maybe you do see a need in your community or your small group or just even within your own family. And you're going, I don't have the means to meet that need. What do you have? The spirit of hospitality is not entertainment. It's not like the really nice kinfolk table that's like huge and like very good looking young people all sit around it with craft cocktails. That is not hospitality. It's nice if you're doing that, let me know. Um, (laughs) But that is entertainment. Hospitality is what do you have? Start there. Maybe you do have a home. We are recipients so far of quite a bit of hospitality in this church, and that's wonderful. Maybe you do have the ability to to give or or make a meal, but maybe you just have time. Maybe you just have ears that are willing to listen. What do you have? Start there. That is the spirit of hospitality. Do you have space in your life? Sometimes that's enough. Just open space for somebody to work out their thing can be the most powerful and hospitable thing you could ever do for them. So compassion, hospitality, and the last thing here in verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He prays, amen. That's not my point, but it's still important. (laughs) Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. Miles is agreeing with me. He also divided the two fish among them all. The last thing Jesus does, he invites his disciples into the work. He isn't just handed out to the people himself. He says, you give them something to eat, you hand it out, you pick up the basketfuls. He invites others into the work of provision. I know firsthand that we have some very hospitable folks in our church, people who are keenly aware of that spiritual gift and they're pouring it out within this church and outside of the church. But I wanna challenge that group, the hospitable people, the generous people. Who are you bringing with you to do that work? 
We have some campus folks who don't own homes. Not, not their fault, but they don't own homes yet. Not all of them are particularly great cooks yet. I remember being 21. It wasn't the easiest thing for me. They need lessons in hospitality. Maybe by showing them hospitality, you might create a whole new army of hospitable people of provision. Are you inviting others to partner in the work? Compassion, hospitality, and partnership, even amongst one another. This is how we become people of provision. Let's close here by just inviting the Spirit into everything that we've learned and seen today. Would you bow with me one last time?